Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning and welcome to Old Providence Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. What a blessing it is to be here with you today. And I welcome you, whether you're a first-time visitor or maybe you're a lifelong member or somewhere in between. It doesn't matter. The Lord has brought you here. The Lord has brought us here so that we can come together, not just as individuals, but as the people of God to worship Him. And worship Him we shall. But first, let me just point out a few things in the bulletin. And also, let me say to you men, Happy Father's Day to you and everyone. So, as far as the bulletin goes, um, you'll find the usual suspects in there, but I will say that youth group is canceled tonight due to Father's Day. Also, let me say a gigantic thank you to Carol. Where's Carol? Is she up there? Yes. A giant thank you to Carol for heading up our float for the Rayfiend Carnival. Look at this. We came in first place. Is that not Now that's a wonderful thing, but Carol has made a grave error in showing herself capable. So, till kingdom come, you're in charge of the float, Carol. But nevertheless, thank you so much for everybody and their hard work for that. Sylvia, too, with the banners and everything, but thank you for coming out for that. Vacation Bible School is just around the corner. You'll note in the bulletin is the blue insert for food donations. It's still in there, and if you want to volunteer, let me know and we will get you plugged in. Now, other things are going on, but I'm going to let you find those. When we pray in a bit, just to offer you an update on Kenny Ehrman, he is still in the hospital, but he's doing well, slowly improving. He's had some kidney failure, so we need to pray that his kidneys would start functioning properly before dialysis or anything like that is necessary. Things are headed in the right direction. He's doing well, but we do need to pray for him. Um, also, you'll notice that we have a flower before us, and congratulations are in order for Betty Lotz as she has welcomed a new great-grandson. Congratulations to his parents, Katie Cooper Yowell and his sister, uh, Hannah, Hannah May. Also, um, Weston is the grandson of Beth Lotz and R.D. Yowell and great-grandson of Betty. So, again, um, what a blessing it is to know that the Lord is working in his people's midst. Now, um, again, there's other things going on, but I'm going to let you find those. Again, fathers, happy Father's Day. Um, I, I hope that, um, that you realize what a blessing you are and what potential you have to be a blessing to others. Now, let's prepare our hearts for worship as Donna leads us in the prayer. Our call to worship this morning comes from Psalm 18, and it's fascinating because we're actually going to be focusing on Psalm 3 today for the sermon that details David's flight, but here is a psalm of praise after David had been delivered from the hand of Saul, and in it he wrote, I love you, Lord, my strength, 
The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God, my rock where I seek refuge. My shield and the horn of my salvation. My stronghold. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise. And I was saved from my enemies. My friends, the reason that I've I've chosen this for today certainly pertains to what we'll be covering in just a few minutes. But also notice the tenor of the psalm. The basis of the psalm. You see, David recognizes what the Lord has done for him, and it's not just gratitude that he shows as a result of the Lord's mercy. It's love. Love is the go-to. Loving God for all that he's done, for all that he's provided for David, for his protection, yes, but even more so, God's ultimate salvation. I wonder, as we come here now together, on this, the Lord's Day, into this time of worship, do you come Because you love the Lord. Oh, I hope you do. He's worthy of our praise and honor and glory as we just read. But he is certainly most worthy of our love and our adoration. And it is in our love for him that we now go to him in prayer. Our God and our Father, please be with us now. What a blessing it is to have this time together that in the midst of the hustle and bustle of life, the the summer that is speedily flying by, You've carved out this time for us and brought us here so that we could worship you. And I pray, Father, that you would work in our hearts, that we would worship you not out of of just fear, not out of only reverence, not just an appreciation, but out of love that comes from all of these things you do for us and even more. So please work in our hearts to that end right now. Guide us as we come into this time together. We pray these things in Christ's name, and we also pray as he taught us to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And as we say the Apostles' Creed together, let me ask you now, Christian, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen indeed. Let us now stand together as we take our Bible song books and sing Bible song 313, The Praises of Heaven and Earth. The words are on the screen. Bible song 313.
And you may be seated, but children, come down, meet me up front. this pew this time guys come on over there we go I think we're safe too Chloe all right very good well good morning everybody good morning. that was such a nice good morning thank you Chloe the rest of you got a little catching up to do but that's okay hope that everybody is doing well it's a special day isn't it why is it a special day what day is today that's right, it's Father's Day. It's a day where we celebrate fathers. But I don't want to talk to you about your father here, your father right now. I want to talk to you about your father, who is our father, who is God the Father, right? There's lots of promises in God's Word, and we've talked about some of them already together. But one of the most wonderful promises is that God promises to be our perfect heavenly Father. God promises to love us. God promises to provide for us. And also, and this is what's really wonderful, God promises that because he's our heavenly father, he knows us and he understands us and he treats us like a loving father should. Now listen to what Psalm 103 says. It says, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. He says he will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. And then this is important. He says, he does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. And then he says this. He says, as high as, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions for us. And then listen, because this is where God calls, us, calls himself our father. He says, as a father has compassion on his children. So the Lord has compassion on those who fear him, for he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we're dust. And y'all, I think that's a wonderful thing. God tells us here that he knows us better than anybody else, better than we know ourselves. And that's really hard to believe because we can know ourselves pretty well, and we can know other people pretty well, too. We've got two sets of siblings here. I bet sometimes you know what your brother or sister is going to say before they even say it, right? I bet you know things like what their favorite food is, maybe what their favorite movie is, what their favorite colors are, that kind of stuff. I bet you know that about Gabe, don't you? Some of those things, yeah, I'm sure you do. But here's the thing, God knows us even better than you know your brother or your sister. God knows us better than we know ourselves. And because of that, God understands us. And he knows us that well because God is the one that made us and we belong to him. And because he knows us, he understands when we're tempted to do the wrong thing instead of the right thing. He understands what we want and what we need. And because he knows us, he's merciful. Mercy means that instead of giving us what we deserve when we disobey he loves us and he's merciful and he cares for us instead guys it's such a wonderful promise that god promises to be your father and you can always trust him to do that but the only way to have god as your father is to believe in his son jesus in john 14 6 jesus said i'm the way the truth and the life no one comes to the father talking about god the father but by me 
So, all of us, grown-ups too, should be grateful that God knows us and understands us. But even more so, we should be grateful that if we believe in Jesus, then God isn't just some father, he's our father. Let me pray. Our Father, I thank you so much for these children. I pray that you would always help them to remember that you know them better than they know themselves. And you love them better than anyone else. You are our perfect Heavenly Father. Thank you for loving us so much. Let these children so much. Let, let these children never forget who you are and who you have said they are. And please, Father, for the rest of us as well, let us never forget too. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. And now as they are going, let's take this time to go to our Lord in silent prayer, and then I'll lead us in the pastoral prayer. Let's go to him now. Eternal God and Heavenly Father, even coming to you with that name, that title, let us never forget that as I've just talked about with the children, that you are indeed our Father. And your word is full of so many promises that revolve around this truth. The promise to provide, the promise to not only give us what we need, but to give us good and perfect gifts. A promise that is rooted not in just obligation, but a promise that is rooted in your love for us. Forgive us for all those times when we've missed it, when we've looked at our lives and may have concluded any number of things except, oh, how I am loved. We are tempted to forget that you're there. We are tempted to put our ways in front of your ways. We are tempted to forget that you understand us, again, better than we understand ourselves. We're, we're tempted to believe that you and all of your might and power sit aloof, high above the heavens, and yet you are with us. Our forgetfulness is manifest in many ways, often in sin. So please forgive us, Father. As we examine your radiance and beauty, we see our failure. We pray that you would cleanse us. That, Father, you would wash even our tears over our sinfulness, for they are not enough. Convict our hearts. And not only that, give us hearts filled with gratitude. Gratitude for all that you have done, all that you are doing, and all that you will yet do. We can count on it. Your word tells us the truth. And, and Father, we know you've never abandoned a single promise. So give us those grateful hearts. And also expectant hearts. When we come to you in prayer, let it not be as though we're approaching a wishing well maybe it'll happen maybe it won't instead give us expectant hearts knowing trusting in you as our father knowing that you hear us 
and that you will come to the aid of your people. And so in light of this, we come to you in light of the needs of this church, which are many, but we pray for those who are struggling first, for those struggling physically. We thank you for Kitty and all the ways you've used him to be a blessing. And now would you bless him? Watch over him as he is in the hospital, and we pray that his kidneys would regain their full function, that, that there wouldn't be any more hiccups to his recovery, but instead he would be strengthened. Give him a special measure of grace and a real sense of your presence. We pray that for others who are struggling, physically speaking, but aren't in the hospital. We ask that you would come alongside our folks and, 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 and heal them. Bring them to good health. Watch over them. And still yet, Father, we pray for those who are struggling in other ways. If it's encouragement that is needed, please give it. If it's correction and your mercy, please execute it. Or, Father, if it's just that gentle nudge, that guidance from your Holy Spirit, please give it. And let us be open. Work in our hearts that they would be sensitive to your Holy Spirit's calling, that we would be able to discern that which you want us to do, and that we would have the courage to obey and leave the consequences to you. We pray that not only for ourselves here at Old Providence, we pray it for your church universal. Work in our hearts so that we would be the salt and the light of the world that you have called us to be, thus pointing others to you and to your greatness. Now, Father, as we continue in this time of worship, we pray that you would go with us in it. Give us grateful hearts as we come to your word and as we lift up praises. And we pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now let us continue our time of worship by taking our hymn books and singing hymn number 101, This Is My Father's World. Pay attention to the lyrics as we sing. Number 101, please stand with me.
Let's go to our Lord, our Father, as we've just lifted up, so it is true that this world is yours. You are our creator, we are the created, and so much more. We are your beloved, and you provide for us in every way. Now, in recognizing that this world is yours, that, that nothing is ours, instead you've made us stewards, I pray that you would now be with us at this portion where we return to you. Help us to remember we are stewards of all that you've given. I pray that you would bless the gift and the giver, and I pray it in Christ's name. Amen.
Thank you very much, Choir. Such an appropriate anthem for where we are going today, and in a bit we'll talk about the benefit of belonging to God. But thank you very much for that. I'd like to begin today by going straight to our scripture passage, which is Psalm 3, as I've already said. So go ahead and turn to Psalm 3 with me. As I said before, if you can't find Psalms split to the middle, you'll probably end up there. Now, as you're turning there, realize that we began our summer series on the Psalms. Boy, that's a mouthful, isn't it? Summer series on the Psalms, just three weeks ago. And we did so because while every Psalm is different, we see a beautiful picture of who God is to the Psalms, as they all point to Jesus Christ. And we also have so much to learn from the Psalms, even about ourselves, as they touch on every facet of the human experience. Now, like I've said several times now, there really is a psalm for every occasion. Even Father's Day. <clears throat> and no, this psalm was not written for Father's Day. I want to be very clear about that. Father's Day wasn't invented, as it were, until 1910. I didn't know that. I had to look it up. So that makes Father's Day around 113 years old. Um, psalm 3 is around 3,000 years old, okay? But even so, there is a pertinent message for fathers in Psalm 3. And as much as I would like to say that I looked forward in planning out my sermons and said, oh yeah, Psalm 3, I'll do that on Father's Day. I'm not that smart or that good. The Lord worked all of that out. But nevertheless, I'm happy to be in this passage that has so much to do with fathers. And today we're going to hear about two fathers, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's pray, and then we will read. Our Father, please be with us now as we come to your word, as we come to this portion where we see so many emotions present, but also the psalm that points to so many truths, some of them glorious, some tragic. Let us see the difference between the two. Again, give us a profound sense of appreciation as we witness your salvation. And as we witness the disastrous consequences of sin, we who are fathers impress these things on our hearts now especially, but by your Holy Spirit lead all of us in this time, please. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. So we're in the third psalm. We're going to start reading in verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. It says, Lord, how my foes increase. There are many who attack me. Many say about me, there is no help for him in God. But you, Lord, are a shield around me. My glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cry aloud to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of thousands of people who have taken their stand against me on every side. Rise up, Lord. Save me, my God. You strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. May your blessing be on your people. Thus ends the third psalm. May God bless the reading of his holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Amen and amen. Well, I've already alluded to it, but today I want to tell you a tale of two fathers, a tale that is absolutely true. 
the words that we just read were uttered by the first of the two fathers, but breathed out by the other. For the second father is our heavenly father, and this is the word of God. If your Bible has those nifty chapter headings like mine does, then you'll know already that this psalm, like the grand majority of the other psalms, was written by David. Yes, that David, the one that killed Goliath. It, it always fascinates me how we associate certain biblical characters with certain stories. I don't have the statistical information, certainly, but if I were a betting man, I'd, I'd wager that if you ask the average person what they think of when they hear the name David, I guess that they either come up with the story that's represented on the screen in front of you, the David and Goliath story, or maybe they'd think of David and Bathsheba. Yes, David's horrendous act of murder and adultery. Most people think in these terms when they consider David, but I'll throw in a third, more generalized. When they think of David, they also think of David being a king. There's good reason for that. After all, we most often refer to him as King David, don't we? But the interesting thing is what people don't usually think about when they consider King David. They don't usually think about the fact that David was also a father. And that's a real shame because to understand Psalm 3 and many of the other Psalms he wrote, you have to understand that David wrote from a father's perspective. And he mentions fatherhood throughout the Psalms. I'll, I'll go even further. The most emotional of David's writings, they're not revealed in his Psalms about victory. The most emotional writings are not his Psalms of praise or provision, but instead, the most emotional Psalms that we find from David are those as he writes from a father's perspective and about God being our father. And if you want evidence for that claim, Consider what we've read just today. Psalm 3, when David is on the run. Now you might be saying, well, what does that have to do with fathers? Well, hold on. Because you see, David wasn't on the run in Psalm 3 from Saul, who tried to kill him very early on. Again, when you're the king and you find out there's going to be a new king and he ain't you, you tend to not like that sort of thing. This isn't about Saul. We read that one already, remember? Psalm 18. This isn't about some foreign invading army that has come after him, though he does. His own son from Absalom. I'd say running from his own son. Yes. I'll explain a little bit more in a bit, but he certainly sounds like he's on the run, doesn't he? Again, verses 1 and 2, my goodness, Lord, how my foes increase. There are many who attack me. Many say about me, there is no help for him in God. And David is broad about that second verse. He doesn't really explain what he means there. Maybe this is an indictment of the people who say this thing. That there's so many enemies against David that even God can't save him. Maybe it's about that. I think it's much more along the lines of God's favor has left David. But it doesn't really matter which one it is. The fact here is that David is writing about a time in his power, not desiring God's way, but instead his own. And Absalom, who was drunk with vengeance, wanting to avenge his sister's disgrace for what his half-brother had done to her. Absalom, under the advice of wicked men who hated David, 
the same one who said things like verse 2, that no help will come for him from God. With these men, Absalom challenged his father's throne in order to take it for his own. You know, people have a cursory knowledge of the scriptures. When they think of David, they think of David and Goliath. They think of David and Bathsheba. But sometimes they forget about this episode. My goodness, what a mess. Can you imagine? His own son, Absalom, did this to him. And as a result, David and his men had to flee Jerusalem. That's what Psalm 3 is all about. It's a telling of that flight from Jerusalem in the first two verses. Consider what we read. It's in his flight that we get this sense of fear from David, don't we? And there's a tinge of despair that's thrown in for good measure as David considers all those who came against him. There's even some desperation here, isn't there? Desperation over the fact that his enemies are so many. And what is he to do? This is David. David and his mighty men. It was said of Saul, Saul has slew thousands, but David has slew tens of thousands. This is David, and now he's an old man, and he has to ride away from Jerusalem. I tell you what, if you've ever been in a situation in life that you wake up and you say, well, I didn't expect this, or I'm filling the blank years old, I'm, I'm 42, I, I am 42, I'm, I'm 45, I'm 55, I'm 75, I didn't think I'd be experiencing this, I didn't think this, was life, this is what life was going to be about. I challenge you to find an experience worse than what David went through here. He was a king. And he has to flee Jerusalem? So yes, there's desperation. And that's a lot of emotions for two little verses. And they show us a lot of what David was going through as he fled. But they don't show something else. What we don't see from David here in Psalm 3 is the anguish that we will see. The sorrow. The sense of mourning over his own son turning against him. Again, this was Absalom, y'all. If you don't know anything about Absalom, you've got to consider who this was in Israel. It almost goes back to Saul. You remember when God chose Saul, it said that he, he was a head taller than anyone else in Israel, that no man was his match. Well, listen to what the Bible says about Absalom. It says, in all Israel. Remember, the Bible doesn't exaggerate. So in the whole kingdom... There was not a man so highly praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the top of his head to the sole of his foot, there was no blemish in him. Whenever he cut the hair of his head, he used to cut his hair once a year because it became too heavy for him. He would weigh it, and its weight was 200 shekels by the royal standard. 200 shekels, y'all. Do, do you know how much that is? 200 shekels was five pounds. When he cut his hair, his hair was so thick that the clippings weighed five pounds. That may not be that impressive to you all, but as a man with a fine marble top, that's pretty neat, okay? Um, I looked it up. The average person's hair, and, and we're not talking about men, we're talking about persons. Uh, the average person's hair weighs six ounces when you cut all of it off. Six ounces. His weighed five pounds. Absalom had no equal, no blemish on his body. He, he had no equal. And, and, and no, I don't just mean in the hair department. 
but also he was loved by his father David. Oh, he delighted in him, and yet he was betrayed. David was by a son. Why? Well, there's many reasons that I've alluded to already. First off, Absalom got terrible advice. He found men, or I should say men that hated David found him. Okay, they gave him terrible advice and he took it. He had a desire for power, that can't be denied. He was angry, and I'd encourage you to go read this sometime. It's a horrible portion of God's word. But he was angry over this episode of what happened with his sister Tamar, who was ravaged by his half-brother Amnon. He wanted to kill his half-brother for doing this to his sister, but David wouldn't let him. And we can't forget that Absalom didn't trust and didn't fear God. He had his own way and couldn't be bothered with God's way, so he came for his father's throne. But even so, we can't forget about David's lot in this, David's hand in this, because his hands were not clean. You see, while all of these things led up to Absalom's uprising, the real truth of the matter, the real issue of what's going on here, those might be symptoms, but the real cause is seen in David. It goes back to a scenario, that second scenario, that often comes to false minds. That's right, David and Bathsheba. You see, after David murdered Bathsheba's husband, Uriah the Hittite, he, he took Bathsheba to be his own, and the Lord provided the prophet Nathan to come and offer a parable about the man with the one lamb, and that lamb was stolen from him, and then to confront David and also to pronounce judgment for what David had done. And in doing so, with a word from the Lord, Nathan asked David and then pronounced, he said, why then, and this is Nathan speaking on the Lord's behalf to David, why then have you despised the Lord's command by doing what I consider evil? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife as your own wife. You murdered him with the Ammonite sword. Now, therefore, the sword will never leave your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own wife. My friends, this promise of judgment against David and his house would come in many forms. It is true, David would battle and battle and battle so much that the honor of building the temple was not given to him. He wanted to build the temple, but the Lord said it would be Solomon's, for there was too much blood on David's hands. And while it manifests itself in many ways, it is carried on with Absalom. This idea of the sword never being removed from his house, it wasn't just on the outside, you see. The sword was wielded from the inside. And while in Psalm 3, we hear from David in those first two verses, we hear fear from him despair, desperation. What we don't hear is sorrow over Absalom. And we don't hear it there because it comes later. It won't come until after Absalom's forces clash with David's forces and Absalom's army is defeated. Absalom, as a result, has to go on the run. David tells his men not to kill his son. And yet, with that fabulous hair of his on this retreat that he made, as he was riding through the forest, his hair became entangled in the branches and his mule continued and he did not. David's generals came and, and drove three javelins into his heart. And then one of David's mighty men, Joab, his armor bearers, came and surrounded Absalom and slaughtered him. 
And it's at that point. Oh, you see the <laughs> sorrow, anguish. Those aren't big enough words. A broken heart doesn't encompass this. It's not in Psalm 3, though. You've got to go to 2 Samuel 18 and verse 33, where it says that the king, David, was shaken. He went up to the room over the gateway and wept. As he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. And thus David departed or, or embarked on, on the darkest period of his life. And so you see in this tale of two fathers, the first part is a sorrowful one. It's a tale of a man who failed as a father and whose family suffered as a result. And, and therein, fathers, is our warning on this Father's Day. We live in a society that would make us think that fathers exist for comic relief if they exist at all. I've mentioned this. I think I mentioned it at Christmas time. It happened again for the first time a couple of years ago in the top ten list of things children. <laughs> oh, it's so hard. In the top ten list of things that children wish for for Christmas, there was a new entry. You know what it was? I think you do. They wished for fathers. Fathers in this world that would tell us that we exist for no practical reason except to be comic relief from time to time or to be the one that blunders about that his wife has to clean up after and occasionally comes in with the kids but it's really his wife's job to raise them. Don't believe it. For you see in David we not only see triumph, we see disaster. But praise be to God that this is not the only father in this tale of two fathers. Otherwise, this would be, without a doubt, the most depressing sermon ever given on Father's Day in the history of Father's Day. But praise be to God that he is the second father, our heavenly father. For you see, despite David's failure, despite the fact that he brought the sword upon his own family, David never forgot God. His heavenly father and God never forgot him. In verse 2, David admits that many people have said that God won't help him. And you see, it's at this point that David would have been tempted to say, they're right. Look at what I've done. I've made my bed and now I have to lie in it. There is no help for me and I don't deserve help. I'm too sinful. I'm too selfish. I've, I've blown it and that's that. That's the temptation that David would have faced. That's the temptation we can face too. All of us, not just fathers. But certainly, fathers, as you view your children, you can face that temptation to conclude that it's all over, that it's all lost. I don't know your situation with your family. And it doesn't have to be just fathers. Any of us, when we make mistakes, we can say, well, I, I've, I've used up all my credit with God as if we're on some banking system. That's not how this works. And David remembered that. Quite the contrary to not falling from temptation. While David wasn't a perfect father and while he knew he wasn't, he understood something about God, our Heavenly Father, that you and I need to understand. 
Are you ready? Because here it is. It's one of the most important truths in the history of truth. God's love is not based on your obedience. Let me say that again. God's love for you is not based or contingent on your obedience to Him. Why does God love you? God loves His people because He's their Father. As He wrote in Psalm 103, I I read it with the children before. The Lord's compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. And then David culminates this statement. on those who fear him for he knows how we are formed he remembers that we are dust and because David knew these things about God our heavenly father instead of languishing in fear instead of shutting down in defeat look at verse 3 and following David said but you Lord are a shield around me my glory and the one who lifts up my head I cry aloud to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain David would then go on to talk about how he lies down and he sleeps y'all could you imagine sleeping in a circumstance like that where you're fleeing from most certain death David could do that because he was convinced of his father's love and power. There would be a son of David who would do the same, wouldn't he? The others would wonder, how can you sleep in the midst of this storm? But that son of God, having dominion and power, slept soundly. David remembered that our God is a shield around us and that God answers his children. He hears when we cry out. There's all kinds of examples in this. I love the example of Jonah in the belly of the fish. But how did the prayer sound from the belly of the fish? It must have sounded like a gurgled, garbled scream. But remember, God knows us. I've said it before, I'll say it again now. If you've been around children, you start to learn how to decipher their screams, don't you? Sometimes they yell because they're angry. Sometimes because they're scared. Sometimes because they're frustrated. Sometimes because they're happy. And sometimes because they're hurting. And if you're a parent or even if you love children, you don't have children of your own, if you have that sense about you, y'all, if you hear a child screaming, I know you're going to run. When it's your own child, it's even more. I've said it before. With Isabella, if I hear her scream, don't get between me and her. If there's not a door, I'm going to make one. And I'm imperfect. I'm a horrible father from times. I'm worse than David even. How much greater is the Heavenly Father's love for us? And again, this love is not based on what we do as if we could work our way into God's love. No, it's based on who we are, that we are His. It's based on why we are His. And because David knew this, he ended Psalm 3 as he did by saying, I will not be afraid of thousands of people who have taken their stand against me on every side. Rise up, Lord, save me, my God. You strike all my enemies on the cheek. 
you break the teeth of the wicked, salvation belongs to the Lord. May your blessing be on your people. And God did save David that day. But you want to know the most amazing part of this tale of two fathers? Well, the first father, David, was flawed. And very clearly, God, our Heavenly Father, is not. While David made grave mistakes with his family that led to destruction, and God, our Father, was perfect in every way. See, in this tale of two fathers, it's not just Absalom that died. It's not just one of the father's sons. Because you see, in doing this, God was working something so much greater. For what happened wasn't just about saving David from defeat. No, God saved the line of David so that it would be Solomon who took the throne after David. And then Solomon's sons after, all the way down to the one who sits on the throne of Zion forever. Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the shoot that would come up out of the stump of Jesse. And again, the amazing irony of this tale is that two fathers, of course, it wasn't just David's son who would die to result in David's salvation and yours and mine. No, Jesus, God the Father's only begotten son, would die as well. But it wouldn't be. And it wasn't out of rebellion to his father. Instead, quite the contrary, it was in him saying, not my will be done, but yours. Out of perfect love, Jesus would lay down his life for you, Christian. And in laying down his life, he would take it up again, rising triumphantly. And you, Christian, are loved. But God's love is not based on your obedience. God's love is based on the obedience of Christ. His perfect obedience leading to the cross. And all because of your heavenly father who loved you so much, he sent him to die. Earlier again, I mentioned that God's love is not based on what you do. That we are loved because of who we are. We're his people. And the reason for that is that God's love is based on the perfect work of Jesus Christ. And by faith in Christ, you can have all of his perfect work placed on your account. And all of your sins crucified with him on the cross. That's what the gospel is. And also that we could be called the sons and daughters of God. See what great love the Father has lavished on us. That we should be called the children of God. And that is what we are. In closing, I don't know about your situation with your earthly father. I'm sure... In, in many cases like mine, many of you have been incredibly blessed by your father. That is my story with my father. Um, when I nominated him to be moderator of the denomination several years ago in my moderating speech, I said, I nominate this man because he's the best man I know. And I meant it. I don't know about your situation with your father, but the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that no matter what the relationship you've had with your earthly father, you can glory in your heavenly father who willingly gave his son for you in order that you could be his son or his daughter. If you have never turned to Christ, 
don't wait. Turn to him today. Ask him to save you and he will. But if you've done this, oh my. Turn to him again and again. Don't listen to the devil who tells you you've burned up all your credit. Don't listen to the world that tells you it's too late. Turn to him again and again. Why? Because he's your father and he loves you. Let's pray. Our Father, we praise you and we thank you for this majestic, incredible, powerful love that we did nothing to earn, but instead that you have lavished on us so that we could be your children. For those that do not know you, work in their hearts now that they would. For those that do, let us turn to you again and again. For as we fathers delight in our children turning to us, how much more do you delight when we turn to you? Please work in our hearts to this end. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Now let us close by singing that great hymn, Faith of Our Fathers. And pay attention to the words. 348, please stand with me as we sing. now the benediction. Now may the grace and the peace and the mercy and the love and the fellowship of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit be upon you both now and forevermore. Amen.